0: When one thinks of the idea of a false flag operation, recent events like the Orlando shooting or the Boston Marathon bombings, and, of course, 9-11, come to mind. But is there a longer lineage and history to false flag events? I sat down with Richard Dolan while at the Experiencers Speak conference in Portland, Maine, where he decided to shift the focus from his well-known discourse surrounding the government cover-up of UFOs to enter the equally perplexing and prevalent reality of what are called false flag events. What are they? Why are they? And who's leading the charge when it comes to the events that are now questioned by so many? Let's hear what Richard had to say. Richard, you are a lot of things to lie. You are known for your research, your stellar research. Into what we call, and I put in big quotes, ET UFO phenomenon. But all of a sudden, we see a little switcheroo on it. <laughs> We're now talking about something that I'm going to say is loosely called false flags. Right. And you've decided to delve into that a little bit. What's wh- where did this transition or the the, the feeling to migrate into something like
1: this come? Uh, well, it's, the way I see it, I've always been a very politically oriented um, individual my whole life. I came into the UFO field over 20 years ago through the field of politics. Uh, I've been studying a great deal of Cold War history, international geopolitics as a young person. And back in the early 1990s, I, through that I stumbled really into the UFO field, and I've always studied UFOs in a political manner, primarily. Uh, the entire UFO subject interests me, but certainly the politics have always interested me the most. And that's always been my focus. And, um, however, um, you know, that study has led me into looking at uh, the intelligence community and looking at, uh, manipulation of, of mainstream media, uh, collaboration of the intelligence community with media and so on. So when, uh, particularly when 9-11 happened, uh, which, you know, this is something that has affected the entire world, but on a personal level it affected me as my father. Uh, was a fire safety director at the World Trade Center when that happened. Uh, he happened to have the day off. He had two days off. It was a very deeply personal thing for me. And uh, I was pretty early on, uh, especially among UFO researchers, looking into 9-11. Back in 0304, 4 at the latest, I was giving lectures on 9-11. So the whole false flag phenomenon has been important to me all along. Um, And, you know, studying the history of false flags, which is really what my research is about at this time, to me is simply an extension of what I've always done all along. It's looking at uh, the undercurrents of our world. Uh, One of those undercurrents is the UFO phenomenon, and another, very important one, is the phenomenon that we call false flags.
0: Right, right. You know, I know that, actually, I have to say, folks, Richard and I have been friends for a little while, so we'll have conversations every so often, I recall, just prior to our last interview about a year ago well, a year ago, you said Alexis, don't tell anybody, but I'm working on a book uh-huh. on and I didn't say anything. Now we can talk about it. Yes. Um, we're not gonna talk it too much because the book has not come out yet, but you no. are coming out with a book. But here's where I wanna go. As I was preparing to do this conversation with you, I thought, hmm, might there be a nexus somewhere between or nexus that we could draw between the idea of E.T. or let's say non-human intelligence and what we again term false flag. I want to be careful with that term. I know that's, that's a, an often used term. There are other labels we could put on it, but we'll just call them machinations of events sure. uh, that uh, may not be what, we're, what we think we're seeing. So this is a little bit of a stretch, but you know, we talked a little bit offline, a lot offline yesterday. Uh, by the way, everyone, we're here at the Experience or Speak conference Uh, Richard gave an, as usual, stellar uh, lecture yesterday. Um, But a little bit different than what we're talking about today because I wanted to go there. I want to see, let's explore, if there is some sort of a link, perhaps, let's call it the metaphysics, if you will, of uh, false flag events. Is there some something undergirding that may actually be non-human that has a hand in putting these
1: Okay, well, my, uh, first of all, regarding false flags, I would just quickly define it for anyone listening who may not know. Uh, loosely speaking, a false flag would be an act uh, undertaken by an agency, usually, often an intelligence agency or a military. Uh, it doesn't have to be. But something usually horrible, traumatic, frightening, could involve killing people, blowing things up, or, or just some kind of fear mongering in one way or another that is then blamed on another party. Uh, These days, that's terrorists, uh, typically. It could be another nation. That would be a false flag. So you're asking, is there, you know, if we look at the the structure of power behind the scenes of our world, um, if we acknowledge that there's possibly uh, non-human actors operating in one way or another on this planet. I believe that there are non-human actors. That's why I study UFOs. Is there a connection? I don't really know. I don't know how to answer that. I don't have evidence that that is the case, and I, I wouldn't really make such a claim. Um, I would say that the uh, machinations and the motivations of those people at the top of our power structure are anti-human, are inhuman. Uh, if they're non-human, that's, that's another thing altogether. But
0: is it? I mean, again, we're going to explore here. Is it another thing altogether?
1: I, it, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know
0: well, again, this, isn't, this is a little bit of a different style of conversation. Because, right. you know, look, we're all on a journey together. We're all exploring. And the moment we think we've got something nailed, we say, aha, I don't know anything. I've got to start all over no, again right. here. So, again, as I was sort of uh, pondering this, this idea, I said, well, if there could be some even tangential uh, connection between, uh, and again, I, I, I prefer to use the term non-human intelligence, and these sorts of things. Let's look at the common threads that would start to build a What The first thing that came to mind for me was when you think of experiencers, you're, you're here at the Experiencers, speak conference of course, and what we heard was, was story after story, of course, was a spectrum
1: of accounts. There was, which, yeah. Again,
0: you're looking at many cases of people with fear, feeling hopeless, and anxiety ridden. There, I, I thought to myself, aha, that with the experiencer but again when we're seeing these events like 9-11 what were the uh what were the psychological implications of that fear anxiety yeah but obviously a sense of hopelessness you see
1: i uh, completely concur i mean i i don't know like when in the book that i am working on i am not uh tying false flags in with an extraterrestrial phenomenon i'm not doing that. I don't see evidence of it. What my work with false flags is very distinct, and what I'm trying to do is take an analytical approach to false flags first and foremost, as well as a historical approach. So by that I simply mean, um, you know, if I'm doing a history of false flags, which I'm trying to do, that is, yes, I try to identify what appear to be possible or probable specific false flags in our 20th and 21st century primarily. I do look at false flags as primarily a modern phenomenon, not an ancient phenomenon, primarily. You've
0: said that. Right yeah. And I, I, Where's that coming from? What, if you could sum up? Yeah. What? How, how did you come to that conclusion that perhaps this is more of a modern, uh,
1: you know, well, when infrastructure? I, when I first started researching this, uh, you go on the web, you'll see lots of websites that will say what false flags go back to ancient times. And often they'll cite things like the burning of Rome and blaming it, you know, Nero burning Rome and blaming it on the Christians and so on. And so when I began research, I was inclined to accept the fact that the false flags could be an ancient phenomenon. But as I looked into it, I I decided they are really not. Um, Because uh, there may have been a few false flags in ancient times. What there definitely is in ancient times are what I, I call ideological false flags. So you create an enemy and you scare... Your population. Uh, think of the Inquisition in uh, in medieval Europe. They come up with a, a false enemy, witches, uh, women who basically were, about one million European women were burned as witches in the course of a century in medieval Europe. I mean, it's horrible. You create this enemy. You frighten the public. Oh, we have to get rid of witches, and it was a great opportunity for the Church Age to consolidate its power over the population because the Church is here to save you from witches as well as the church had the added benefit of stealing the land of people who were witches and uh, stealing the money of families of witches who would pay indulgences to the church. So just, just as the U.S. government now will expropriate a property of people it, you know that they say are growing pot in their homes and things like this. So it's a great racket. Okay, so that's an ideological false flag uh, that, and those types of things have occurred throughout our history. But actual false flags, when you think of a covert op done by uh, some agency no, I believe this is actually modern. And the reason is that certain things came into widespread use following the First World War. A, uh, the industrial world was highly militarized after the First World War. Uh, you had the nation state had now developed the opportunity to manage its media in many countries like Germany, Russia, and uh, uh, um, Japan, in the 1930s had domination of their state media and these were the first nations in the 20th century to start doing a lot of false flags. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need media control, you need covert op teams, and you need a kind of geopolitical motivation. Ancient world didn't really have these things in place. Uh, there wasn't like a media. Ancient world didn't have control over a media because there right. really wasn't any.
0: Right, there were less channels, literally And, and also,
1: I will say this, when, you, when I look at ancient culture, I'm, I'm a student of ancient history, and uh, there was brutality, there was horrific, I mean, bloodshed, you know, armies would go into towns and just kill everyone in the town. There was no shortage of mayhem and brutality. But the idea of blaming an attack on another country, for example, in the ancient times, really would be considered a perfidious, evil thing and dishonorable. Uh, the ancient culture in most of the world had very, very strong uh, ideas about that sort of thing. At least as might, even like the Mongol warriors who would just lay waste, but they weren't really doing false flags. Mm-hmm. So I think this is something that we see in the modern era. And the other reason false flags are necessary in the modern age is because we have an ostensibly democratic world. And so why that's important is it is necessary for governments to corral public opinion. You know, in in earlier times, if there was a a dictator or a king, he didn't really have to worry about getting the public behind him. He just did what he wanted to do. Uh, Look at at places like North Korea today. If Kim Jong-un wants to get something done in his country, he doesn't need to do a false flag. He rules by fear. And he just does what he wants to do. And and he can't really do an international false flag, really, because he has no control over global media. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't really have the tools. You need the tools if you are uh, someone who can control widespread media and if you have an ostensibly democratic public that needs to be manipulated. And that is really the case we find in the modern world. Particularly after World War I, war itself became considered an immoral thing, wars of aggression anyway. And so nations would need a pretext to justify their aggression. And so false flags have become very handy. And that is really the primary reason why we see it as a much more thing in our era in the last century mm-hmm. than previously. And I think, uh, as I often like to say, if there were an Olympics of the false flags, the United States would get the gold. i heard you say that, yeah. Well, it's a good way to put it. I think it's, it's exactly right. For very specific reasons, the United States is the leader in, in doing, perpetrating false flags on the world. 9-11 clearly is the centerpiece of the false flag universe in the modern age, but uh, there are many that preceded it and have come since. Uh, I think we're in an era of false flags Primarily for two reasons, Uh, one has to do with uh, U.S. domestic and domestic politics of other nations as well due to globalization. I'll speak to that now, so through the 1990s in our own century what we've seen is an uh, intentional and explicit uh, removal of much of the middle class of the U.S. and we saw this through through globalization and trade treaties even in the 1990s when uh, jobs would be exported elsewhere. Uh, this resulted in a lot of protests across the United States, culminating in probably the greatest of the protests of that era, which was in Seattle in 1999. People can look this up on YouTube. This is a huge event, November of '99, in which 40,000 or more people in Seattle shut that city down when the World Trade Organization, the WTO, met and convened. And they effectively were able to stop uh, many of the proceedings of that. It was an incredible event. Uh, and this is. Because people believed rightly that they had rights, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> so false flags, on the one hand, I think, are necessary by the by the state to intimidate the public, essentially to beat them over the head with a, a fear stick, a national security stick. And well, say, that's
0: ruling by fear, I mean that's the point I wanted to sort of exactly, make. Exactly. You, know, you you said that you know a king, a, a bona fide king, rule doesn't need to create these sort of uh, these sort of events to fear because he, he rules by fear. However. Right in a, a matter of speaking, the, the false flag event in and of itself has that outcome built in. So it's, right. it's building sort of a, you know, stack of things. I, I, mean, and anxiety I, I would add, like,
1: if, if uh, ancient kings had the ability to do false flags the way we can do them now, I'm sure they would have been happy to do them in many cases. But uh, the infrastructure really is in place now. Yeah. So domestic politics in the U.S. and in other countries are a motivator. The other motivator, and this is primarily an American thing, Uh, is international. Uh, The United States global policy is something Americans and people need to know is based on among one of the key things is the petrodollar system and that means essentially dominating oil producing regions and making sure they sell their oil in dollars. This is a very important financial policy that the United States has had for decades. What that requires is that they control the politics of an entire swath of land. That produces two-thirds of the world's hydrocarbons from basically uh, Western Africa, West Africa coast in the north, all the way through the Middle East into Western Asia. A lot of oil and natural gas are produced there. And America's policy, they can't state this openly because it wouldn't be considered very nice, but is to dominate those regions to the maximum extent possible. And when uh, governments such as Iraq in 2000, which when Saddam Hussein began selling his oil in euros, Or Muammar Gaddafi, a few years after that, when he started to threaten rolling out a gold-based dinar currency system. These are threats to the U.S. system, and those threats had to be eliminated. Um, And so false um, opportunities, false explanations are created by which things happen and justify invasions and regime change. Uh, 9-11 was very, very important. 9-11 justified not only the creation of a homeland security state in the U.S., and globally, because other nations have followed suit, but also justified the U.S. illegal invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. They were illegal, um, technically. By the they, these were not legally done, and they were based on lies. And they were, the foundation for the invasion was, of course, 9/11. That's what motivated the public to uh, say, "Yes, let's go, let's go get them." So, 9/11 was the great catalyst. And uh, has allowed the United States to continue its policy of geopolitical domination.
0: Uh, Well, I know that 9/11 served for whatever it was, and again, I I try to be very careful about saying this is this or that is that. And I think you can probably speak to our audience and speak to everyone about uh, you know being so quick to judge what is a false flag, what isn't. However, it seems that 9/11 was certainly the impetus or or the Pandora's box that was open and started to open people's eyes to looking at the possibility. Um, in 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 hindsight, particularly, I mean, there are many people were now what, 15 six, going on 16 years, I believe, past 9/11, and there are still people that are just kind of having their own personal epiphany that, hmm, let me look at this again. There's so many revelations that are coming out, and I think I've heard you say, will we ever know exactly what happened and how it happened? Um, probably not.
1: Yeah, right. I think it's very difficult. Yeah. But we were not it's part of. It is important
0: to know. We weren't what, part of the what, club to do yeah, it. Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, like any false flags, in many ways, are harder to research than UFOs. Uh, with a good UFO sighting, you can have a report, sometimes military reports, declassified government documents, and you can you can say to the world, "Look, this this is a document. This proves that an object invaded sensitive airspace. This proves that this was taken seriously, and so on." And I can speak to that. A good false flag is a trickier thing to talk about because if it's done well, uh, agencies know very well how to cover their tracks. They're often good at it. What we have in our favor is A, there have been a number of absolutely exposed, legitimately exposed false flags. Can you name uh, some of them? Some of them were just in the planning stage, but they were, that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, absolutely. And I'll get to that. And then the other thing is that there has been some very excellent independent investigation and in journalism done on specific events that, um, short of a government acknowledgement, nevertheless show, I think, any reasonable mind that uh, this is absolutely what it looks like. Now, in the case of proven ones, um, one that um, did not happen but was was proven to be in the planning stages, of course, is uh, known as Operation Northwoods. This is from 1962. This is a plan coming out of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States. It landed on the desk of President Kennedy. And the idea, this is an interesting idea. We're going to hijack several airliners, pretend that Cuba did it, and crash them into prominent U.S. structures in New York City. Sound a little familiar? Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Now, Kennedy looks at this, and of course that was going to justify an invasion of Cuba uh, because the Bay of Pigs had failed the year before and the U.S. was still hankering to do regime change in, in Castro's Cuba. Kennedy saw this proposal and essentially said, "Not on. this is not happening, I'm not going to let this happen, and it didn't. Uh, and it, Northwoods wasn't exposed until another forty years later, when the uh, researcher James Bamford wrote about it in his book *Body of Secrets* in 2003. 2002. So we know about Northwoods; we've got the documents. Uh, there were other false flags that were exposed. One was an Israeli one from the 1950s called the Lavon Affair. Uh, Mossad was um, um, had uh, Egyptian Jews in Egypt who were going to. Um, engage in acts of terrorism, blow up uh, American cultural centers and movie theaters and, and whatnot to be blamed on the Muslim Brotherhood. And the reason for this, uh, this was exposed. The Egyptian police found it out and uh, confessions were brought out and so forth. The idea was to prevent Britain from leaving the Suez Canal region because uh, Israel did not want them to leave the Suez Canal uh, due to terrorist uh, fears. Another one that was uh, certainly found out was, was a well-known one called Operation Gladio. Uh, after World War II, the uh, NATO nations created a bunch of uh, like resistance groups, operatives, in case the Soviet Union rolled into Western Europe. It would be like a French resistance to sort of reset if the Soviet Union were to take over Europe. Well, the Soviets did not take over Europe, and yet these groups were in place. In the nation of Italy, they had the bright idea of um, blowing up train stations and killing people and blaming it on the communists. And the reason for that was to influence domestic politics. Gladio operatives killed hundreds of Italians and hundreds of people over the years, and uh, they were effective until they were caught and found out, and that whole operation has been exposed. A nasty bit of business. In the United States, you could say we had a long history of false flags sponsored by our, the FBI, what was known as the COINTELPRO program, counterintelligence. J. Edgar Hoover had the idea of infiltrating. Uh, organizations in the U.S. that were involved in positive social change. Students for a Democratic Society, Black Panthers, and other organizations <clears throat> that were infiltrated by FBI. The Ajahn provocateurs who would in- infiltrate those organizations, radicalize them, promote violent actions that would then discredit those organizations to uh, justify bringing the hammer down on them. And that was, ex- that was uh, successful. All right? That was exposed uh, after the fact. So these are, these are absolute examples that we know of, of government agencies perpetrating violence on their own people, and using that as an excuse, as an example, um, as reason to then promote their agenda that could not otherwise be promoted.
0: You really found the line down the road of history, which of course is what you're known for, and I know our audience will appreciate that. Uh, you say that we now know that, but, I, you know, I have to say, honestly, you know, you've done your research. I'm sure there are a lot of folks in, in our audience and beyond that weren't aware of that playbook and, and you know, what the, what the outcome was, uh, or what these events were designed to do, but uh, well, they are I, now exposed.
1: Absolutely. What I would say, you know, there are people who constantly are, are shocked by these types of statements, and they think, well, you're just, this is a conspiracy theory. Uh, well, I would just say go to your local library. Mm-hmm. Don't even go to the web. Go to the library. Remember those? And there are books on COINTELPRO. Uh-huh. The history is there. It's in the academic libraries, it's in public libraries. Read about it. Uh, it's a, a very nasty bit of American history, and right. it, it shows it's not an exception. It's actually how how they work. I will add also that the phrase conspiracy theory is a CIA creation. That, that people, people need to understand that when you when you read a journalist talking about conspiracy theory, or when you yourself use the phrase conspiracy theory, you are doing the central intelligence agency's work for them. right? And they came up with this phrase in the uh, late 1960s in a uh, classified document as a way of dealing with theories, alternative theories of the Kennedy assassination. Uh, because even in the 1960s, there were people who said, you know, There are some problems associated with the official explanation of the Kennedy assassination, and the CIA was involved very much in trying to manage that process. And the phrase conspiracy theorist, conspiracy theory, was promoted by the CIA through mainstream media as a way to uh, engage in subtle ridicule of those theories, and it's highly effective. I think it's been very, effective. absolutely,
0: I try to refrain from using that word, but at the same time, Speaking of looking things up in books, look up the word and the literal meaning. You know full well what it what it means. It's two or more people coming together to uh, to sign something uh, that will have a negative impact on another.
1: So uh, conspiracy is a part of organizational behavior in our world. Absolutely. Uh, corporations certainly don't want to share their corporate secrets with another corporation. They're secretive. Uh, governments do not want to share their activities with other agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's. Sort of a conspiracy, this is acting in secret, it's acting in concert. Many of the uh, actions that these agencies do is not legal, it's not ethical. So what is that if not a conspiracy?
0: You know, there's something I want to bring up in terms of, again, going in, I'm a fan of the library, yes I do remember that, we're researchers, (laughs) I think it behooves us to spend a little bit of time in authentic uh, libraries that we can touch and feel. Um, And you say that this information is there for those who will love. I have often wondered, Richard, particularly with, in this era of false flags, and there seemed to be sort of a playbook that now a lot of people can somewhat, to some extent, follow. Yeah. Do you think that those who are behind putting these things together, at least in part, are planting certain patterns for people to recognize? In other words, are they really trying to hide? I think there's a, there's a very deep psychological uh, framework that we could maybe look at here, uh, are well, they really trying to, you know, hide? hide. We, we've heard the term hiding the truth. In, uh, in
1: plain sight. You're asking an interesting question, Alexis. I think, uh, well, on one level, there is, there's a pattern to many of these false flags. There are certain things that we can look for. Um, and I can speak to that. And then the other thing is, is there this little secret, little, like dropping of clues, right. is what you're asking. And, I don't know where I stand on that. There are, there are people who will um, make, you know, point out that there are hints about 9-11, for example, that were dropped Sorry. in our popular culture before oh, 9-11 happened. Yeah. And that is interesting to me. Um, I'm still not sure exactly what I want to say about that. Uh, relating to the, the profile of false flags, I think we can say, there are, is there a profile of a false flag? And I think the answer is basically yes. That profile is constantly evolving, though. So it's not um, it's not a, it's not static. But you know, when you when there is a horrible public event that happens, a dramatic, traumatic event that gets instant media saturation, in which the culprits are virtually instantly identified, mm-hmm. um, in which there's uh, an immediate response that is generated as a result of that typically a response that involves a progressive loss of civil liberties, uh, we have to be alert to what's going on here. Some, we're being played in some way. Um, there are a number of specific things that have happened with a number of these apparent false flags. The existence of multiple drills. I was just going to bring that up. Right. So, Unavoidable too. Uh, relating to w- whether it was 9-11 or the London 7-7 bombing in 2005, um, some, some of the mass shootings as well, there have been instances where drills have been in place on that very day that, have, that were designed to deal with the exact event that occurred. Mm-hmm. Right, and this happened on 9-11. There was uh, uh, military exercises that were involved in dealing with ter- terrorist attack, engaged in American soil that involved um, airliners uh, you know, targeting uh, American targets. My goodness, uh, and then 9-11 happened. Um, so the question is, what does that mean? I think the best way to look at it is that multiple drills uh, serve two functions. One is they add to confusion on the day of the false flag, and I think it would prevent uh, an adequate response to deal with the false flag so that you know what actually happens. But also in the planning stages, it's useful. Let's say we're both in the intelligence community and I'm planning a false flag and you're not planning a false flag. But you will learn somehow about that, I'm, that this is being planned. Mm-hmm. I could say to you, oh no, it's just a drill. And, and you're like, oh, okay. So, in other words, it, it, would, it's a, it would be a way of kind of disabling inquiry within the intelligence community among people who are not in the know okay. to kind of keep the whole operation mm-hmm. uh, secure. I think it's useful. Now, that, that may change in the future because the fact is that researchers are onto this. And so it's entirely possible that future false flags may not have that feature; mm-hmm. There may be other features. This is we're in a constantly evolving phenomenon here, and, and all of us who study this need to be alert that uh, you know there are those researchers who are looking at this, and that causes a response absolutely among agencies that are perpetrating this, and they're aware. So they have it's like a it's like an arms race right. of uh, inf- information.
0: Well, certainly, I know the phenomenon of drills um, have, you know, skyrocketed. I mean, you know, we're seeing it far more. As a matter of fact, I think I told you just uh, a day or so ago this past uh, weekend, uh, there was a well-announced drill of a Black Hawk helicopter circling over a major city, um, and it was, you know, well-publicized. And yet, as as I look back uh, and looking at events that are questionable and the drills that were associated with them, I don't recall hearing about those drills as much as you know others that may or may not have an event attached to it. So I think there again there's a measure of confusion because for those of, for those of us that are looking at events with with a, a, a you know a bit of skepticism these days, I, I would imagine those that are putting the events together are aware of those people too and are part of the playbook is to confuse those people yeah, as well I, as those I, that right. are I, oblivious I think, to it. I
1: would think I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I
0: think so. Yeah. Well, we, we we're going to wind out shortly. Uh, we're going to have a lot of time here. And by the way, folks, if we're not wearing sunglasses because we're trying to be cool. The sun is no, blazing. so it's, it's pretty so bright. You'll have to forgive us here, <laughs> but we are making eye contact, and I hope this isn't too distracting to you. But it is very pleasant, but very sunny. Uh, but again, I, I suppose we flushed out the possible extraterrestrial or non-human. On it. I don't know. That's something that, that we can all kind of meditate on. I still feel well, like there could be something there. I don't know if you have a uh, I'll, I'll, on that. I'll say
1: this. I mean, yeah. I've, uh, you know, you find in the, the research communities that deal with false flags and, and covert ops in general, and then the research community that deals with the uh, UFO phenomenon, th- there is some but not a lot of overlap.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I've, I'm dealing increasingly with this other research community that deals with, uh, you know, standard political. Uh, false flags and the like and there's a hesitancy I think for people to look at the the UFO phenomenon I think um, part of it is psychological each community I think feels a bit besieged you know truly by the mainstream culture and they realize they've already got this one albatross around their neck Uh, why take on another one Uh, and so I think there's a hesitancy to look at both of these two phenomena. but the fact is in my view anyway There's more than sufficient proof to indicate that the UFO phenomenon is a real thing. It's absolutely real, and this is not a matter of speculation or hinting. It's proof in the sense of declassified government documents that show conclusively that there is a phenomenon of aerial objects that uh, US military and other militaries encounter and are unable to deal with. They do not, by any piece of evidence, know what these things are or how to deal with. them. So some agency is flying something that is not supposed to exist, that has extraordinary capabilities. That's real. Now, so that shows that there's an important element to our reality that's not being discussed openly by our mainstream. Yeah, another. (laughs) Right. So so there's something there. And we have this other unknown we have this other phenomenon that's not really being openly acknowledged. That is false flags. And it's a fair question to ask or speculate. Is there something that connects the two? And I am interested in that. Uh, but I, I feel that it's still very important for me to be, as, to be a bit cautious in, in, in tying these together. Um, I have spoken many, many times about what I've called the breakaway civilization, and I think this is a valid concept uh, dealing with the very highly advanced classified technology that does exist here on this world that is not acknowledged, that, that completely human agencies have access to, and that could include advanced weaponry, Advanced uh, science and technology of various types, and it is absolutely, entirely possible that there's a connection. When one looks at the the, the vanishing of the World Trade Center, and really we, we can say vanishing into a into a a big pile of dust. I right? it's it's not simply that the, the North and South Towers collapsed. It's not simply that. It is that they. Dustified. You know, Dr. Judy Wood, let's, let's mention yes. her here, talks about dustification. And this is a, a completely reasonable question that 9-11 researchers need to look into. Not just 9-11 researchers, but everybody. Mm-hmm. As she puts in her book, where did the towers go? You know, remember when 9-11 happened, I'm sure every single person, everyone, I'll bet there's no exceptions. When they saw those towers come down, they were thinking, "Wow, thank goodness they didn't do this, right?" Why I wouldn't they?
0: See, absolutely. Well, I think there was such and, a shock
1: factor. I don't in think fact, anyone knew In see. fact, um, there were there were TV uh, journalists who who openly said this. Well, oh my goodness! You know, they could just collapsed right into their footprint. But they did more than just collapse onto their footprint. They went up into a big pile of dust. And this is a serious scientific question, people. Need. How did this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously there's uh, um, a
0: consortium—not to cut you off—but there's a consortium yeah. of, of engineers now, you know, for, for 9/11 truth that have really delved deeply into this. So. They have, and, and
1: yeah. the 9/11 researchers are actually more viciously at each other than UFO researchers. I wouldn't are. be
0: surprised. Uh, and the
1: arguments has having to do with them, what what caused it. Was it is it highly advanced uh, nano-engineered therm- thermite, which is one school of thought? Is it something more advanced and exotic? Um, you know that that would cause a justification as Judy Wood has, has suggested. I, I, it's hard for me to know precisely. Yeah. Um, I would say that this this has to be looked at, and and I think uh, there is this extreme reality that is unacknowledged in our world, and I think we need to look honestly at the likelihood that there is an extre- highly advanced technological source that is carrying on in this world uh, that could very well have a connection to that. Um, yes. I'm, I'm Again, I'm speculating, but I think this is really a fair What's question.
0: exploring. Also. I mean, again, you know, we ask questions and, and we, we can't ask them a vacuum. Um, you know, I think it's a lifelong pursuit of, of trying to uncover what we call the truth. You just do a stellar job, end to end, and I do appreciate your being conservative in your, your approach. I think that's what you're well known for and, and thorough. So I
1: think well, thank you. I, with it. I feel yeah. very lucky. I honestly, um, the older I get, the more I, I realize I don't have time for um, I don't have time for BS. Yeah. I don't have time to waste uh, the clock is ticking in every way that I can imagine and um, I I love the fact that I'm able to throw myself into these types of subjects and explore them. Uh, and eke out a way right. to survive by doing it. Um, and I feel very lucky. So these questions. What is the alternative? You know, sit back and watch Monday Night Football for the rest of your life and watch Dancing with the Stars? I'd rather not do that. Uh, I would rather spend my time looking at these issues that I think are important for all of us. And, and hopefully, for people who are maybe watching this, for them also to feel a little bit more inspired to dig in as well and to look for the truth. But what the last thing I would say to anyone who's watching this is, you know, they say, well, what can I do about this? And what I would say to you is, don't go into any, any battle with the expectation that you're going to win and that this is the reason you do it. Don't go in because you have to win. That's great if you do. But do go into it because if you're going to live a life of integrity and if you're going to live a life that's meaningful, then what better way than to, than to search for what is true mm-hmm. and to speak out for the truth. And in doing that, what you find is that you gain your own power. You gain your own strength. In other words, you find resources within yourself that allow you to, to live a fuller life. Mm-hmm. It's really true. Once you, once you start shedding the illusions that you were raised in right. about your world and about yourself, uh, you're going through a process of, of self-realization and growth. Yeah. And you are then helping other people go through that process. And I, I firmly believe now that it's on a matter of cultural change that we're really going to have the best chance of making true political change. There's got to be a mass culture shift, transformation, that will then drive uh, the much-needed political correction, so that we don't have this discrepancy. The one mistake that I find people do make is when they say things like, well, what does not matter what the government thinks? We know what we think. I get that, but there's a danger with that philosophy. As the danger is in acknowledging that the government has a right to lie and I'm here to say the government does not have a right to lie the government does not have a right to feed you spoon feed you BS for the rest of your life okay you have a right to fight that and and it is our job to make sure that the political institutions that exist in this world in our country are responsive to us and and that means not giving up on this idea of self-government self-rule rule other people. That's what this is about. If there's one thing that um, offends me, I don't get easily offended, but I'm offended by the fact that I have a government that lies to me and, um, and it takes my money to spy on me uh, in the name of uh, pretending that they're making me more safe. Right. I don't like being lied to. So I think it is our obligation as citizens, whatever country we live in, to... Uh, to to speak truth to power and to do our very best to realign that political system so that it speaks the truth.
0: He, you know he wasn't going to let us up, just coming down slowly, he had to really let you have it. <laughs> so I appreciate you letting us all hear it with passion. I so appreciate the large measure of integrity that you bring to a field that has such a bullseye right in the center of it, thank you so much on behalf of, of so many of us that are that are. that seeking truth, and still have many questions. You are uh, a beacon for all of us. Richard Dolan, thank
1: you. Thank you very thank you. much, Alexis. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks, everyone. Take care. Richard Dolan's knowledge was clearly evident throughout this interview. But what struck me most was the passion that he conveyed right at the conclusion of this discussion. Righteous indignation is one word that came to mind while listening to his concluding remarks. The ability to create and sustain a government of self by the people and for the people is not unachievable. But first one must look, examine, and analyze where they are now in order to create a new roadmap for a path of true sovereignty. I urge you to visit the post that accompanies this interview at higherjourneys.com. There you will find show notes and also several critical links that Richard brought up in the discussion, including Dr. Judy Wood's thesis of dustification as it relates to 9-11 and the Twin Towers. As always, we appreciate your tuning in to Higher Journeys. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.